A number of years ago, when I pastored in Mississauga, I was asked to give the graduating address to a group of students attending a Christian private school run by a couple in our church. In addition to focusing on academic excellence, the school had become specialized in working with at-risk students who, for a variety of reasons, were not able to thrive in the public system. My speech was filled with all sorts of inspirational messages and powerful quotes from great leaders, but those were not the most significant words spoken that night. After the ceremony, there was a meal, and I sat across the table from a young grade 8 graduate and his mother. He was wearing a suit that was obviously borrowed because it was a few sizes too large for him. He was quiet and seemingly uncomfortable. He had not received any of the academic awards or athletic honors that were presented that night. He wasn't an honor student. I later came to find out that his graduation was a bit of a miracle in itself. He had come from a troubled home where there was no positive male role models. He had been suspended several times from his previous school and was falling behind in his grades and falling in with the wrong crowd. He had been sponsored by an anonymous donor to attend the school, and here he was a few years later, a grade 8 graduate, ready for high school. As dinner was served, the owner of the school came over and stood behind this young man. He put his hands on his shoulder and he said, Have you met my friend Amid? Let me tell you about him. This, when this young man first came to our school, he was really struggling academically, especially with math. He didn't like school much and didn't know the other students, but he was courageous enough to try something new. He gave it a shot and he stuck with it. He worked hard. He did his homework. He even stayed after school sometimes for extra help and his grades shot up, even in math. He tried out for the school sport teams and, he, and he's quite a basketball player. I think he's becoming a real leader. And I think he has a bright future ahead of him because he knows how to persevere and overcome. I am really proud of him. And as the man stood there with his hands on Amid's shoulders, speaking these words over him, you could almost see the young man grow into the suit he wore. His posture straightened, his shoulders pulled back, and a sh shy smile came across his face. The attention may have felt awkward, but you could tell he was taking it all in. Although he might not describe it this way, the man was giving Amid a blessing, speaking words of life into his soul. I later looked up and found out what the name Amid actually means. It means leader. And the blessing of that man was helping Amid live into his name. Words are powerful. They have the ability to create and to destroy, to hurt and to heal, to build up and to tear down. They can bring wisdom or wounds. Proverbs 18.21 says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. The tongue is not the largest or the strongest muscle in the body, but it is the most powerful. And this should not surprise us that we are able to create with our tongue because we are made in the image of God who created the world, not just with, by his will or thought, but with his words. God spoke into the darkness, let there be light. And there was light. Not only did God create with his words, he then gave his creation value by calling it good. He even named his creation with words that declared his purpose for it. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 4, it says, God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. 
God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. What God was doing is blessing. And that word blessing is all the way through the Bible. In fact, it appears over 400 times in the Old Testament alone. But we tend to to blow right past it. It's because it's one of those spiritual words that we don't always understand. So we tend to downplay. But not with God. For God, blessing is a big deal. The word first shows up in Genesis chapter 1 in verses 21 and 22 where God creates the animals, birds, and marine life. And he calls them good. And he blesses them. It appears again in chapter 2 verse 3 where God says that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. God's blessing is about speaking words of worth, purpose, and identity. That is what blessing does. And in blessing the seventh day, God is blessing the human race with with the ability to experience rest because blessing always is an act of grace. And the really cool part is he lets us in on the blessing too. Not only are we blessed by God, but we are given the ability to bless others, to speak over them words of worth, purpose, and identity. In Genesis chapter 2, God invites Adam to name the animals he's created. He's blessing them. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus rhetorically says, how much more valuable are you to God than one of the birds he's created? And the repeated message of Jesus is that we are blessed. Pastor John Ortberg says, God loves to bless. So he creates human beings in his image to be both blessees who are able to receive blessing and also blessers who are able to give blessing. So we see this clearly here that God, when God blesses Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and he says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and all people on earth will be blessed through you. Now the idea with blessing is that it always begins with God and then it's going to flow to you and to me, but it doesn't stop there. Through Abraham, through you, through me, we become people who bless the entire earth. We are the way that God spreads his blessing. As Christians, we are the recipients of God's ongoing blessing, and we are called to share that blessing with others, with our parents, spouse, children, friends, strangers, even our enemies. The Old Testament word for blessing means to bow the knee as a sign of honor and respect. The New Testament Greek word means to speak a good word over someone. It's where we get the word eulogy from. It means to speak truthfully about someone. Unfortunately, we make it the habit to eulogize the deceased when it's the living who have a far greater need to hear it. In blessing us, God is telling us how much he values us. And when we bless one another, we are reminding each other how important and significant our lives are to each other. And when we bless God, as in worship, we are declaring back to God his worthy and glory, his worth and glory, and how much he means to us. Now, the problem is, as humans, we are inherently selfish and sinful. We tend to calculate and to think, how can I enhance my own blessedness? And accumulating more blessing becomes a way of life. In seeking the good life, we turn in on ourselves and we tend to forget to bless God 
and to bless others. And I think that's why this commandment to bless is repeated so often in the Bible. The other problem is that the same tongue that can speak words of life and blessing can also speak words of death and cursing. In the Jewish Talmud, the rabbis liken the tongue to a sharpened arrow, a lethal weapon that can wound at a long distance. And that is why the psalmist implores, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I learned the lasting power of a tongue to wound from a man I deeply respect. He was a good and godly person, a success in business, a great supporter of charities and missions. He was a good husband and father and someone others respected. But he was always reluctant to take on leadership and always quick to reflect any praise. He was in his late 40s and seemingly on top of the world when he disclosed to me that every day he struggled with confidence and with seeing himself as the person God had called him to be. He felt unworthy, undeserving of God's love and unable to lead. And then he told me that as a child, he struggled with shyness and with an inability to find his words, especially when under pressure. There was a, there was a family gathering at his home when he was 12 years old. And there was the normal questions that relatives love to ask. What are your plans for the future? What do you want to do when you're done school? Why don't you tell us or show us what you've been up to? And he wasn't able to string together a coherent thought, let alone a sentence. Finally, embarrassed, he jumped up and left the room. From the hallway, out of sight, but not out of earshot, he heard his dad in frustration say to his mom, that boy is so backwards, he will never amount to anything. And those words, spoken in haste without thought, made a wound in that boy's soul that he carried with him for decades to come. They became an anchor that kept him down, a drain that made him conclude that every time he struggled, it was because he was a failure. And every time he succeeded, it still wasn't good enough. And as I listened to him, I could feel the ache of God the Father wanting to bless his child with words of worth, purpose, and identity. And if he had only known the results that would come, I bet that father would have eaten his words a hundred times over. Where have you spoken wounding words over someone else's life, accidentally or on purpose? Where might you need to seek forgiveness, make amends, renounce a lie, or speak the truth? And in your own life, when have you heard and believed false, life-draining words that are still negatively influencing your life today? We all need to be blessed, and we all need to learn how to, be, to extend that blessing to others. I'm so proud of the man because through a program like Freedom Session that we run here at Compass, he was able to walk free from the chains that wounded his, that the wounding words put in his soul. The truth really will set you free. So in September, when you hear about Freedom Session starting, come and check it out for yourself. Over the month of June, we're going to be looking at some of the most significant blessings in the Bible, the words that God speaks over us as his people. Our series is called Blessing, a Good Word, and through it, we're going to unpack some of these familiar passages that often we use in our worship services, but we might not fully understand. And in doing so, we are seeking to better understand and appreciate our own blessedness as children of God and grow in our readiness and ability to bless others. 
We begin this morning with the granddaddy of all biblical blessings. It's tucked away in an otherwise inconspicuous place in the book of Numbers chapter 6. And I want you to turn there in your Bible right now. The book of Numbers chapter 6. It's right near the start of your Old Testament. If you've ever made an attempt to read through the Bible from beginning to end, the book of Numbers is the literary wilderness where your enthusiasm and commitment often stops. But here in the midst of history, lists, and laws, we find one of the greatest blessings in all the Bible. Here, God instructs Moses to teach his brother Aaron, who is the high priest of, over Israel, and his sons how to bless the people. In verse 23, God says, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. This is what is called the Aaronic blessing because it was given to Aaron. And it's not only one of scripture's best known passages, it's also one of the oldest. Many Christians today are familiar with it from songs and from benedictions in worship that still echo it. In fact, some of us are so familiar with the blessing that it's easy to take its content for granted or miss out on what it really means. But whether it is old or new to you, I want us to consider what makes this blessing so great and why it has assumed such a place of prominence. To begin with, it's a poem crafted around the name of God. There are three lines of blessing to the blessing which are carefully and poetically crafted, showing God's creative genius. The first line is three words long in Hebrew. The second line is five words long. The third line is seven. Each line increases by two words and also by two syllables from 12 to 14 and then to 16. Not only that, the, not only that, the number of Hebrew consonants steadily builds as well in fives from 15 to 20 to 25. This is better than Shakespeare. And it's all built around God's covenant name, Yahweh, translated by the word Lord with all caps. The poem has a threefold repetition that emphasizes that the Lord is the source of blessing. It is the Lord, Yahweh himself, who will bless you and keep you. Author David Memphis writes, The center and apex of God's blessing is the presence and person of God himself. All that you have been given is from the Lord. And that should fill us with comfort, joy, and freedom. Comfort that the Lord will provide. Joy in stewarding the gift. And freedom from being owned by the things that we own. But what is it that spe specifically that the ancient Israelites would have understood this blessing from God to include? Perhaps no place better sums up how multifaceted the Lord's blessing would be in their minds than Leviticus chapter 26. So keep a finger here in Numbers 6 and turn to your left in your Bible a few pages to Leviticus chapter 26. In Leviticus 26, it lays down in detail how God intends to bless his people when they choose to follow him. And it begins with blessings that are practical, earthy, but also temporary. In verses 3 to 5, God blesses them with rain, crops, and fruit on the trees. In verses 5 to 9, he blesses them with physical safety and military success that brings peace to the land. In verses 9 and 10, God blesses with the gift of family, children and descendants, 
financial provision and security. And we give thanks to God for these things as well. Jesus tells us to ask God for our daily bread and to give him thanks when it is provided. There is an old song we used to sing that went something like this. Count your blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. And maybe this month, that's what you should do. Pull out an old journal or maybe pick up a new one and just start writing out your blessings. Write out the little ones and the big ones, the temporal ones and the eternal ones. Don't overlook things like a place to live, people to love, food to eat, clothes to wear. But also include the eternal things like I have been blessed because I have a father in heaven who loves me. Because Jesus went to the cross for me. Because I have the Holy Spirit to guide me. Because I have been forgiven and set free. Because I have been invited to life in the kingdom of God. Because I have this church where I get to be part of a spiritual family. Because I have been given spiritual gifts and I have the chance to can make a contribution to something greater than myself. Because I have the hope of eternal life with God. Yes, I have been blessed. But as wonderful as these things are, the greatest blessing is that God is personally present in our lives and his grace invites us into a deepening relationship with him. In Leviticus 26, 12, God says, I will live among you. I will not despise you. I will walk among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. It is the blessing of divine friendship and it is ours through faith in Jesus. God himself will live with us, walk among us, make us his own people, redeemed and adopted. That is what it means to be blessed and kept by God. So first, this is a poem crafted around the name of God. Second, it's a prayer seeking an outpouring of the love of God. In verses 25 and 26, we have a repeated reference to God's face. These are personal and relational words. The first time his face is shining upon us. This is the gazing love of God, and it's like the sun shining down on a beautiful summer day. We are the object of God's affectionate gaze. Just think about it. Not because of anything that we have done to deserve it, but simply as a result of God's amazing grace. There is something unpredictable and mysteriously gracious and wonderful about being loved by God. You cannot explain this love. It's undeserved, unex inexplicable, and yet so beautifully real. The second reference to the face of God is him lifting up or turning his face towards you. This suggests somebody with power or authority raising their eyes to look on you with favor. It means that God is taking notice of them. He's paying attention to them, watching over them. It's like a parent watching a child at a sporting event. You cheer for the whole team, but you're really focused in on your own child. You're paying attention to them. You love watching them play. I remember being at a rather intense baseball game in Mississauga. The score was going back and forth, and the two teams were getting more and more intense. There were heated comments coming from the crowds, and the two teams were battling it out. There had been a couple of close plays, and the coaches were barking inappropriately at the umpire. Some, some in the stands were doing so as well. 
Another parent noticed me sitting there quietly, not cheering for either side, and they asked me, which team does your kid play for? To which I replied, neither team. My kid's the ump. And, that w- and while I didn't say it out loud, I didn't care at all which team won because my eyes were on my son. I was there for him. I wanted him to succeed. I wanted to protect him from the harsh comments and tell him the truth. To be honest, I wanted him to throw a couple of coaches out of the game. But I was so proud of how he hung in there. In Numbers chapter 6, we are given the prayerful picture of a God watching over and guarding his children. He's not only blessing us with provision, but also with protection. The prayer is for peace and for shalom to be experienced. The Hebrew word for shalom is not simply the ceasing of war, but it is the the establishment of total wellness, well-being, and flourishment. It's about deep contentment and rest. It's about a settled soul and life working as it should. True peace is a fitting conclusion to what it means to be blessed and kept by God. And the chapter ends with a promise from God to put his name on his people. After the poem and the prayer comes the promise. God says to Moses in verse 27, So I will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Through the pronouncing of this sacred blessing, God puts his name on his people. He identifies them as his own. They belong to him and they know it. And so too will the surrounding nations. And his people have the responsibility to represent him in the world. They display his image and bear his name and so do we. And it is a weighty and wonderful truth that through faith in Jesus, I belong to God. In fact, maybe... That is a simple prayer exercise you could do this week. Just take your journal and write in it, I belong to God. And then slowly repeat that truth over and over again. I belong to God. Tell it to your soul. I belong to God. Remind your mind. I belong to God. Tell it to the enemy when he seeks to discourage you. I belong to God. Let that truth sink deep into your soul and then carry God's name into a world that does not know him yet, knowing that his eyes are upon you. And just in case you miss it, God ends in verse 27 with an emphatic, I will bless them. God guarantees you his blessing. And he does this through sending Jesus. Jesus is the greatest example and expression of God's love. The salvation he provides through his work on the cross is unmerited grace and it leads to supernatural peace. And because of Jesus, we are adopted as God's children. We bear his name and we represent him in the world. And far from being an irrelevant passage today, this ancient blessing is in fact all the more true and all the more meaningful for those who trust and follow Jesus as Lord. There are two big takeaways here for you and me. The first is to joyfully receive the blessing God gives us. And the second is to joyfully learn to give the blessing to others. We must look for, acknowledge, embrace, and celebrate God's blessing in our lives because we cannot give anybody else what we do not already have. We must come to see ourselves as richly blessed by God. Just think about this picture of God blessing us, keeping us, 
holding on to us, causing his face to shine upon us. Get the image in your mind for, for the God of the universe to cause his face to shine upon us, to smile on us, to smile over your life and to look upon you with favor for his grace to be yours. Think about the fact that in the light of our sinfulness and rebellion against him, his face is still shining upon us and it is pure grace and mercy for God to turn his face towards us, to notice us and to give us peace. Like the student at that graduation, let God put his hands on our shoulders and speak a blessing into our soul. And then it's our turn. Having received the blessing of God, we are called to share it with those around us. So over the next month, we're giving you the challenge to bless others. I want you to think of at least one person you could bless each week. And then I'd like you to write out a blessing that you will speak to them or give to them. It can be a daunting task, but to help you, we've created a resource called Writing a Spiritual Blessing. It breaks it down into some very simple steps that you can, you can download from our website. And I really want to encourage you to do this. Learning to write a spiritual blessing. We do it because words are powerful. And when we are willing to speak or write a blessing over someone else, we are affirming what, by God's grace, is true about them. What is good about them. And we are speaking words that are life-giving and that will fill their minds and their hearts with the things that God says are true about them. And we become like Aaron and the priests of Israel. We have been blessed. And now we want to give the blessing. Let's pray together. Oh God, I thank you for this ancient poem, prayer, and promise. The blessing. Help us as we journey through this series to grow in our awareness of how blessed we really are. May we become daily aware and continuously thankful for all that you have provided. But much more, may we delight in your presence and be warmed by the knowledge that your eye is upon us, that we are the object of your love and attention. Help us to grow in our desire and ability to bless others. Give us the courage to speak life-giving words over those around us. As recipients of God's blessing, we want to share in that blessing and we want to give it away to others too. And Lord, this week as our nation grieves over the injustice and abuse in our native community and mourn for 215 children who never made it home, Lord, I pray that you would guide us as a nation into a healing journey that leads to the shalom of God, life as it should be, with peace, justice, safety, kindness, and respect for all. In a land where we have been blessed, may that blessing be experienced by all. And in response, Lord, to all that you are and all that you have done, we bless you. We turn our attention towards you and we ask that you would receive our thanks and our worship as we bless you. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.